you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 15. We'll be looking this evening at the entirety of this chapter, which is but eight verses. As we continue in our journey through the book of Revelation, trying to see what John has to say for us today, the practical implications, too, of this book. If you please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, it is completely sufficient. It is completely authoritative. And the word of God is completely without error. Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. <clears throat> After this I looked. And the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke, from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's ask for His blessing upon it this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You have spoken in Your Word we thank you, O Lord, that you are indeed at work in our lives. And we pray, O Lord, that you would use this, your word and your spirit, to change us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in the name above all names, the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Do you like to sing? I know for many of you, you do. I know for many of you, you have certain songs you like to sing. When we have requests, you request them over and over again. Singing is something that we like to do. And I think it's because it's something that is a part of who we are as human beings. Even those of us who are not really willing to sing out in public still enjoy singing, still enjoy music, enjoy that feeling that courses through us. We may not want to get up on a stage and sing, but it's amazing what you will see people belting out as they're driving next to you in the highway, in their car. 
And then, for some of us, we know with those whom we live with that their place of privacy and singing is, of course, the shower, where we think we're alone, but sometimes we're just a little too loud and can be heard in adjoining rooms. You see, we sing because the Lord has made us this way. Singing is a way that we express joy that we feel. Singing is a way that we remember things. We remember things that we are uh, concerned about by making songs up about them. We have scripture memory songs. We, uh, as we're in school, many of us learned various facts by making up songs about them. You see, God has placed in our hearts a desire to sing. And we see here in Revelation 15 that desire at its highest point as we see the people of God gathering together to sing a song of triumph, a song of glory for God and the Lamb. And so this evening we will see something about their song. We will see first that it is a significant song. It is a song of importance. Secondly, we will see that it is a celebratory song. It is a song of celebration. And then thirdly, we will see that it is a conquering song. It is a song of victory. A song that is significant, celebratory, and conquering. Well, let's begin then by looking at verse 1 of chapter 15 and to see the significance of of this song. The first thing that we see is that it is a heavenly sign. Look with me at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now there is only one other occasion in the book of Revelation that a sign is pointed to. John really wants to get our attention to what is going on here. And the other place that we see this is in chapter 12, verse 1. We see again a great sign that appeared in heaven. It is the sign of the woman. It is the sign announcing the great battle with the dragon. That great war that, as we saw a few weeks back, symbolizes, expresses a war that has been going on since the Garden of Eden between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. A battle that is consummated only in the victory of Jesus Christ at the cross. And so here we see again another great sign, but this sign is not about a battle. This sign is about a victory. It is about a triumph that is about to occur. And once again, we have another perspective on this great victory of God. Just like we saw with the seven seals, and just like we saw with the seven trumpets, we are now about to see seven bowls, seven bowls of wrath. And these are not in chronological order, just to go back over the path where we've been. These are, again, different viewpoints of the same victory of God. This is something that is happening in heaven, but it is not just something up in heaven. 
I think oftentimes Revelation 15, by modern interpretations, is relegated to just something that happens over there and we observe. I checked with that with my research assistant, and he assured me that oftentimes this just describes things that are going on in heaven, and we're not really sure what it means. That's what often interpreters say. But really what is happening here is a breathtaking vision for us of heaven that will then come down to earth. It is a great vision, a breathtaking vision. Seven angels coming with seven bowls, seven plagues. The wrath of God is about to be finished. And then we look at verse 2 and we see what appears to be a sea of glass. A sea of glass mingled with fire. Now once again, this is Revelation's imagery. It is not literally a sea of glass. You don't need to worry about if it gets scratches in it, or if it has a tint, or if the reflection is too much. No, this is a great sea that appears to be so shiningly pure that it is as if glass and fire were combined. This is the same kind of imagery that we saw in Revelation 4 at the throne room of God. It is a way for John to describe for you and for me the undescribable. If I were to say to you, what's God like? What does heaven look like? What does it mean to have a glorious body? What will your glorious body look like? You probably would look at me a bit quizzically and say, well, I'm not really sure I can describe that. That's where John is. And so he's trying to take images that we know and understand and use them to describe something that is completely breathtaking and awesome. The glory of God is something that is very difficult to express. That doesn't mean that we don't try to express the glory of God, but we cannot encapsulate it in a, as a whole. There is a part of describing who God is and what heaven is like to leave it lacking. Augustine described the Trinity as a mystery bounded by offense. We can describe the boundaries, but we cannot get at what the Trinity actually is. And so as you speak to friends, children, loved ones, as you talk about who the Lord is, do you have the same sense of heavenly awe? Is your song about the Lord one that leaves us wanting more, with our breath taken away, wanting to learn more of this great and glorious God? It is for John. But there's not just a heavenly sign, there's also an earthly reminder of why this song is so significant. Because what happens then is these servants of the Lord, in verse 3, they begin to sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And they sing the song that goes, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And so they begin, just as we talked about before, to break out in a chorus of joy. We can almost... Feel the music, and here we actually do have harps, don't we? We have this great conflagration of music and voices and song, praising the Lord. It is a song of the overcomers, 
We see that in verse 2. Those who had conquered, those who had overcome. It is a song of victory. Now, we can get a very small taste of this in our lives. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hands, know your college fight song? Or at least can hum it. I do. I started as I realized that college football season was about to start. I looked at that yesterday and was preparing for it next week. And before I knew it, I was humming the tune. And if I hum it a little bit loud, my boys will hear it and they'll hum along with me. The military also has songs, don't they? These are songs that remind us that we are uh, in a battle, that we seek to win. And that's what is happening here. It is the song, an old song, and yet a new song. The song of Moses. The song of Moses is the song we find in Exodus 15. It's the song the Israelites sang at the shore of the Red Sea after Pharaoh had been destroyed. Now imagine the victory there. You're going out, a huge nation, completely unarmed, completely backed up against a body of water. And the cream of the Egyptian army is coming after you with vengeance in their eyes. And the Lord God himself delivers you such that not one of you are lost and the entirety of the enemy is destroyed. You can imagine what a song of victory that would be. But in the same way, imagine the song of victory of the Lamb, which is a complete victory, a victory over all because of his death. There is a good reason for them to sing, redemption has come. We ought to sing a new song when we are reminded of our redemption. This song is significant, but it is also a song of celebration. It's a celebration of deliverance. Look at what the song says to us. Great and amazing, verse 3, are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. These great and amazing deeds take us back to the plagues themselves. They are described in Deuteronomy 28 exactly like this. The Lord God is at work in a wondrous and marvelous way. Now, this is very much lacking in the world today. An understanding of God's mighty work in the world. We get glimpses of it here and there, and we're reminded, and then we forget again. When we hear about a great hurricane that is bearing down on the East Coast, and we're afraid might flood the subways of New York, destroy buildings in Manhattan, then we start to think about the power of the Lord. And then it veers off toward the sea, and there's a bit of rain, we go back into our slumber again, don't we? We forget how powerful God is. But it's not just lacking in the world. If we're honest, this kind of glorying in God's power is lacking in the church. Our God is a powerful God. Our God is powerful to heal marriages, to strengthen families, to convert those who are at odds with Him to build up the truth in our community. God is powerful and at work. This is the kind of song that should be in our hearts, longing to see the Lord victorious, delivering His people. His deeds are great and amazing, but also His ways are just 
and true. Do you ever wonder why we think about justice so much? Even in the little things? If someone ever tells you there's no absolute values and there's no need for things like justice, do me a favor, cut them in line once. And you'll see justice come out. Wait a minute. I've been waiting here. It's not fair. We don't realize how important justice is until it hits home. But this is because we long for the world to be set right. We long for justice to be found in the earth that peace and good and harmony might exist. We also long for truth, don't we? Because God is truth, and His Word is truth. We long for justice and truth to triumph in our world. And if this is true, then this must also be something that delights us as we see truth honored and upheld. It brings a song in us. As we see justice flow down, we long to see more of it. What God does is deliver His people. And that's because He is a God of deliverance. It's not just what God does, it's who God is that brings a song of celebration to our mouths. Look how He is described in this song of the Lamb. He is the Lord God, the Almighty. He is the King of the nations. He is the One who has a glorious name. The God who delivers is the God who is sovereign. He is the Lord God. This word, Lord, is the word for ruler. In the New Testament, it is kurios. It is someone more than a king. The ruler who is in charge of everything. And as if we need reminding, it is the Lord God, the Almighty, now this word, the Almighty, is a very vivid word. It literally in the Greek means Lord or dominion of everything. Powerful ruler of everything that exists. There is nothing over which the Lord does not rule. He is sovereign over your life. He is sovereign over your finances. He is sovereign over your testimony and your witness. Sovereign over your marriage. Sovereign over your job. Sovereign over our economy. Sovereign over this world. There is nothing you can think of that God is not in control of. This is a great comfort to the people who long for a deliverer. He is the sovereign Lord, but He is also the holy Lord. Look at verse 4. You alone are holy, O Lord. That's because God is the definition of holiness. Holiness is not some abstract quality that God participates in. Holiness is who God is. Completely separate. Completely other. Completely independent. Completely pure. This is who God is. And if we think about this, it moves us to awe, to fear, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You, O Lord, are the Holy of Holies. 
And you see, when we think about who God is in His sovereignty, and we think about who God is in His holiness, it must lead us then to a third thing, and that is a God who will be worshipped. Who God is moves us to worship. We do not worship because we feel like it. We do not worship because it is a duty we must fulfill. We worship God because who He is demands it. He is worthy of our worship. And you see, it is such in His nature that all will come to worship Him. Look here at verse 4. All nations will come and worship you. It doesn't say those who feel like it, those who are special, those who even get it. No, all the nations will see God in His glory and they will be moved to worship Him and Him alone. If that isn't a song for celebration, I don't know what is. The glorious King of the universe, worshipped by all creation. It's not just a significant song here that we see in chapter 15, not just a celebratory song, but it is also, thirdly and finally, a conquering song. Because you see, this is not just about what God has done. It's also a reminder for us of what God will do. You see, God's faithfulness in the past is a way in which we can be assured, we can be comforted about His faithfulness in the future. It's one of the reasons why as we pray and take prayer requests, we also ask for praises so that we can think how the Lord has met our prayers, how He has answered them. We're reminded of His faithfulness so that we are then spurred to pray all the more to Him. And that's what's going on here at the end of chapter 15. It is not just a past deliverance of Moses, it is also a perspective deliverance. We see that at the end of this song. The last phrase is, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And this is a bridge between the past and the future. You see, it describes the righteous acts that God has done, but it also describes for us the righteous acts that God will do. They have been revealed for us, have they not, in this book of Revelation, what God will do. We've been saying it over and over again, how the Lord is going to be victorious. And from every different perspective, we are now seeing it. I said this in a quip at the very beginning as we started this book. So many of us wonder, what's the book of Revelation about? And it can be encapsulated in one phrase. The book of Revelation is, God wins. How significant is that in our lives? To know that God is victorious, that He is working out victory and telling us over and over and over again, reminding us of how He is redeeming a people recreating a world and establishing a glorious church. And this is a connection here as we go back to the beginning of chapter 15. 15 begins with seven angels and seven plagues. And then as we go down here in chapter 15, verse 6, we see out of the sanctuary come seven angels with seven plagues. They are about to work out the wrath 
of God that has been given to them. They come out of the temple of God. Victory is at hand. And this is where, again, past informs future. At the Red Sea, how many Israelites were lost? Not one. As a matter of fact, the psalmist puts it so beautifully. The Lord took them through by sandals on dry ground. Not only was not one lost, not one was wet. How many of the Egyptian enemies escaped? Not one. You see, God is not like a movie producer. Have you ever wondered, you watch these movies, and there's always, you can almost take bets with your kids as you're watching, how many times the villain is going to come back? You think he's gone, but he escaped. You think that he's been defeated, but he comes back. You think he's in jail, but no, he's out. We never know if we're safe. How many times will the director try and scare us by the villain popping back out again? Not so with God. No villain escapes. No enemy is victorious. No, all are under the sovereign hand of God. His victory is complete and total. No fear, no pain, no tears. That's the story of the conquering song of Revelation. You see, because it's not just deliverance to come, it's deliverance that comes on the power of God. God is the one who is in control of judgment. He hands over the bowls of wrath to the angels. They merely serve Him. It's His wrath that is real. It's His wrath that is filled to the brim. And no power can oppose Him. As a matter of fact, there's this very interesting phrase here at the end. The glory of God and from His power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now think about that. Not even sinless angels could abide the presence of the wrath of God. That's how powerful the Lord is. You see, John knows that the people of his day and the people of our day need help and assurance. He knows that we're frightened at times. And we are. I won't ask the biggest and the strongest men amongst us what makes you frightened, but there is something. Things are out of our control. Things that we wake up in a sweat about. Things that we have to take to the Lord because we know we can't conquer ourselves. It's not just children who are frightened. And you see, this story, this book, this song is for us that we might know that God is in control. That the world is not spinning. That Satan is not on the throne. The Lord is in charge. and He will bring about a final victory for His glory, for our redemption, for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have indeed revealed to us that you are victorious, O oh Lord. Lord, we thank you that 
we are not on our own. We are not ones who are left to our own device. But Lord, that you indeed work in our lives to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this evening. We ask that you would bless the food that we will partake of later. That you would give us sweet fellowship in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.